Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine. And this is episode 124. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, we look at autumn berries, when to pick, forage and do's and don'ts and what to make with them. But first up, I find out how to raise your port and cheese game with an expert tutorial on the different types of port and some quirky new cheeses to match. Hi, it's Janine here, and I'm at one of my favourite shops in London, Paxton and Whitfield, trying two of my favourite things in the world, port and cheese. So I've got um, Amanda Lloyd, who's um, a port expert working for Taylor's, and I've also got Dan Bliss, who's a shop manager here at Paxton's. Hello to you both. Hi. Hello, hi. Um, cool. So um, basically, what, why I wanted to get Amanda especially on the podcast, was uh, we did a cherry podcast a few weeks ago and it was really interesting. It got lots of um, listens. And, um, and I think the reason why is that people sometimes think of sherry and port as kind of umbrella terms and they don't realise that there's like so much variety and so much kind of work that goes into making port quite distinctive and distinctive styles. Um, so Amanda's just going to talk us through a few things about port. So first of all... Um, how is port actually made? Because it is a wine, right? That's right. It is a wine. Um, the difference being, I suppose where the comparison with uh, sherry is, is that it's a fortified wine. So uh, it's made from uh, grapes. The grapes are grown in the Douro Valley, which is up in the northeastern corner okay. of Portugal. And this valley lies behind a mountain range. And as soon as you get over this mountain range, it's protected from the coastal influences. Mm. So therefore, you're in an extreme climate where you've got very hot summers and very cold winters. Okay. So what happens is it stresses the vines, which is fantastic for the grapes because okay. it gives you very low yields, but very concentrated okay. grapes, which is what we want. So these grapes are then picked usually in about September. Um, they're all hand picks. All the uh, vineyards are set into terraces cut into the mountains. Wow. So it's very labour intensive. Hand picked grapes. Uh, and then all the grapes from our own properties are all foot trodden. Yeah, I was reading about that. So people actually get their shoes and socks off and go, go in. Absolutely. Because <laughs> totally I thought that was just do. like a comedy thing that you sold, you know. No, the... not at all. And it's not for the tourists. <laughs> no. Um, so what happens is people go out and pick all day. Yeah. And, um, and then in the evening, they will... So during the day, they will fill up one large treading tank, which is made of granite. And then in the evening, they will go into that tank and stand in two rows opposite wow. one another. We've got full bunches of grapes in there. Yeah. And they will tread those grapes for two hours two hours two hours oh, and it's hard work so this is filled to about knee height they stand in two rows opposite one another 
and march forwards and backwards. It's so labour-intensive. Very labour-intensive. And what's the thinking behind not just using a big mashing machine? Well, we, we do that. <laughs> we do also have a me a mechanical okay. pressing as well. But for our very best for grapes, the best they're all foot-trodden. And the reason behind that is you have a very, very short fermentation period. We're looking at two to three days. Wow. And in those two to three days, you have to extract those deep colours, those wonderful tannins, the aromas yeah. in that very short time. And the best way to do that is with your feet. So as long as we can find people prepared to do that sort of work, we will carry on foot treading all our grapes. And I said two hours. We need four hours out of them. So two hours is just the beginning. <sighs> and then after that, we have what's called the free time, the yeah. Libertad, it's called in Portuguese. Okay. <laughs> and then music is played and everybody's dancing. So they're dancing in the grapes. They are dancing in the grapes. Are they drinking a port? Party. There, there's a little bit of drinking going on as well, yep. <laughs> all right, I think I'm in for that now. That's brilliant. Um, and then... After that happens, is it is it pretty much a, a winemaking process? It's very much. So the um, with a difference being the fortification. Yeah, of so the fermentation starts, the yeah. yeasts are natural, the yeasts are actually in the air. Oh, really? So it's all... And they're yeah. absolutely natural. It's worked like this for a long, long time and yeah. we don't change it. So the fermentation will start. When the fermentation starts, everybody gets out of the lagar and then you push down the cap, it's called. You're pushing down the grape skins okay. um, into, the, into the must with some sort of big sticks. And... Um, you're measuring the sugar levels. And when half of those natural grape sugars have been converted into alcohol, you need to stop the fermentation. Okay. So we let the skins float to the top. We yeah. draw out the fermenting must from underneath and mix it with a neutral grape spirit. And that's the fortification. And that happens halfway through, so you're retaining all that wonderful okay. natural sweetness. So your flavour, all the flavours, all the grape... It's all there it's all still. still there. And that's why port is, has this lovely, rich sweetness. Yeah. Um, and that's the, the sugars that are left. So this, the neutral spirit is literally just there to lift up the alcohol it's, level? Yep, it's a 77% alcohol by volume neutral wow. grape spirit. So it's, yeah. it's a high percentage. And when you mix that together and you're mixing approximately, approximately one-fifth to yeah. four-fifths of... Um, of the fermenting must. When you put that mix together, obviously the neutral grape spirit is going to kill any yeah. yeasts and you stop the fermentation. Okay. And that's how you end up with a port that is um, sweet and about 20% alcohol I was going to say, does it, it, does it all port hover around the same percentage, it, it about 20%? Does, it more does, more or less, yeah. yes. It's all more or less around 20%. Because um, otherwise, I guess, the flavour would change then, wouldn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. Yeah. So it's all about there, and it's all um, about the same residual sugar right. level as well. Obviously, there are some variations, mm. um, apart from the dry white port, okay. which is obviously fermented for longer so that the port is drier. Okay, cool. So let's talk about that aging process because there's there's three different ways you can do it, isn't there? There's um, cask, vat, and bottle. Um, tell us the difference between them and what your kind of results going to be. Yep, that's exactly right. So broadly speaking, you break port down into two groups. Okay. You have the bottle aged and you have the wood aged. The bottle aged is the vintage, and in yeah. fact, it's a very tiny percentage. We're looking at two to three percent of total wow. production. And all the rest is wood aged. And within the wood age, again, we can break it down into two groups, being the cask aged 
or the vat age. So the casks are relatively small, about 600 litres. Okay. And the vats are big, so they will be sort of 60,000 litres or so bigger. So the vats, your kind of more um, general port that you would see around? The vats the... are for the ruby, so where yeah. you want to keep those big fruit flavours. Yeah, because so like ruby's ruby. got that, yeah, that yeah. lovely red Lovely and deep fresh, red colour, exactly. Fresh, yeah. Yep, lovely fresh, fresh fruit. fruit there. Yeah. So ruby or a reserve ruby yeah. or a late bottle vintage, that's going to be aged in a big vat okay. where the wine has little contact with the wood and the air and keeps all those lovely fresh aromas. So when you say flavors. late bottled vintage, that doesn't mean it's it's aged in the bottle. It means it's bottled after it's it aged. Means it, yes, what it means <laughs> is, okay, so vintage being from a year, yeah. from a single year, because most oh, of right, the wood yeah, aged yeah. ports are yeah. blends of different years. And okay. one of the exceptions is the LBV, the late bottle vintage. Oh. So it's from a single year. Yeah. But rather than being bottled after two years as a bottle aged vintage would be, it yeah. does all its aging in wood. So we will age it for between four and six years in large wooden vats and then it will be bottled and ready to drink so you'll get that huge amount of exactly the the kind of port that you want which is then sent exactly so you've got this lovely big fruity style of port um, from a single year but it's been aged in wood so once you open Mm. the bottle you can leave the bottle open for a few weeks and it will still keep all its quality it doesn't need to be decanted it's ready to drink Cool. And let's talk about those really expensive bottled. So what are we talking about? Are we talking about like 20, 30 years? How, how long do they go into the bottle, the bottle-aged ports? OK, so within the bottle-aged, yeah. the vintage, we actually have two categories as well. It's all vintage, yeah. but we have the classic declared vintage, which happens actually oh, very rarely, okay. perhaps once in three years. Really? In fact, we've just declared the 2016. Is that because it's so good? Because it's so good, because right. it's so rare as well. So it yeah. doesn't happen every year. And it happens when all the conditions are perfect, the yes. growing conditions were perfect, the harvest conditions, and then it ages for two years in wood. Right. And if all that works and all that comes together perfectly, then we will declare a vintage. Wow. Um, in other years, which are good but maybe not quite as good then we'll Mm. do a single vineyard vintage what we call a single quinta vintage or a Mm non-classic so with taylor's for example when the label says taylor's vintage port you know it's a declared vintage it's a classic vintage and it happens very rarely perhaps three times in a decade there's Mm. no rule to it just however it happens so we've just declared 16 the previous one was 11 okay um and in into some of the intervening years where the quality is good, we do a single quinta, and in this case it would say Taylor's Quinta de Vargelas, Vargelas or Terra Feta, which is the other property. Okay. And then So we do, in fact, the complete opposite of most quality wine producers, okay. where their best wine would be a single vineyard, and in fact our best wine oh. is one where we blend together where you, you get different exactly, vineyards at yeah. the same year. Yeah. So you're going uh, for yeah. a certain result that's going to give you yes. the best possible... Yeah. That form. will reflect the style of the house, yeah. the characteristics of the year, yeah. have um, wonderful ageing potential mm. that could age. So a declared vintage, I mean, that could de- that could age for 40, 50, really? 60 years or even more wow. and continue to improve. A single quinta will not age for as long as single Kinta will probably continue, will age and continue to improve for perhaps 25, maybe 30 years, but that's still a long time. Yeah. It's a huge subject, isn't it? I it can't is. believe just that. Yeah, yeah, we've like learned so there much. There are so many different subcategories. Um, so when people, you know, just approaching, if they get a bottle of, say, Tawny Port versus Ruby Port, what's essentially the difference? Is, is it the, the Ruby Port's, the, as you said, the fresh one, the Tawny Port is the one that's been aged a little bit, so the colour's gone a bit... Exactly. So your Ruby Port, a Ruby or Reserve Ruby or late yeah. bottle vintage falls Ru- into that. Yeah. 
same category, ages in the large vats, so lots of fresh fruit on the nose, yeah. um, masses of fresh fruit, so you've got sort of big black currants, blackberries, mm. black currants rather, um, plums. And then if you're going to a tawny, tawny. it's aged in the smaller cast, so yeah. a lot more contact with the wood and the air. So you have this sort of controlled oxidisation. Oh, yeah, and it loses its colour, yeah. And it loses, it changes colour very changes quickly. Colour, yeah. It's basically an accelerated ageing process. Oh, I see. Okay. And you can see immediately when you look at a glass, so if it's this deep purple colour, it's going to be mm. a ruby style. And if it's going towards this sort of red, brown, tawny colour, hence yeah. the name, then it's very likely to be a tawny. Okay. So Dan's here from Paxton and Whitfield and she's chosen some um, kind of alternative cheeses for us to try. Um, obviously, Stilton is a huge thing at Christmas. Any other time, people kind of think Stilton and pork, don't they? Definitely. I mean, Stilton is, is so popular for Christmas. I was just saying earlier that we sell around about six and a half tonnes of Stilton just from German Street in December alone. So Stilton and pork for Christmas is absolutely key for us. Um, but the styles of port we've got here today, we've got a, um, a white port, a tawny and a vintage. Um, so first of all, Dan, what, what are we going to match with the white port? So this is Cynodon Hill, which is a raw milk goat's cheese made in Oxfordshire. And the three cheeses I've selected today, I'd say all sort of young guns. They're modern cheeses. They're all British. They're all delicious. But we're trying to stray away from the idea that Stilton has to go with port. So with the white port, we've gone for Cynodon Hill. Tell us a bit about white port, because we touched on it, but we didn't um, really discuss it, Amanda. It's quite trendy at the minute, isn't it, to have white port and tonic, for example, exactly. as a summer drink? Exactly, yeah, there's been tremendous growth in this category. Um, white port is the exception. So all of the others are made with the same grape varieties. They're all blends of different grape varieties, but they're all made with the red ones. The white port is made out of white grapes. Okay. Um, it is, and in this case, we've got Taylor's chip dry. So it's actually fermented for longer, and okay. it's considerably drier than the other ports. Mm. Um, it's also mixed, so you can drink it either as it is or you can mix it with tonic, yeah. and it makes a delicious long drink. So we'd mix it normally about a third of dry port mm. and two-thirds of tonic okay. and perhaps a little twist of orange zest in it so just to lift it, and it's delicious. And if you are drinking it on its own, as we are today, would you serve it chilled or would you serve it room? Or? Definitely chilled. Definitely yeah, chilled. Absolutely, okay. definitely, And yes. is this as, as a historical style as, as all the other ports? This has been around since the 1930s. Oh, really? Yeah. And, in ah. fact, it was um, introduced by Taylor's. Okay, cool. All right, so let's try this cheese and maybe you can um, tell us the sort of flavours that we should be getting. Yeah, of course. So uh, this is a fairly young cheese. It's not got a huge amount of age on. It's nice and fluffy, nice and mousseline in texture. It's actually got a very specific texture because they use a thistle rennet. So you get a really lovely mousiness and lightness. Rennet from an actual thistle? Rennet from a thistle. It's the most <laughs> traditional way of making a vegetarian rennet. Um, more commonly found in Portuguese cheeses and Spanish cheeses, a cardoon thistle rennet. But you occasionally find it in British goat's cheeses like the Sinodon Hill. Do you think it brings any of the kind of thistly, that kind of slightly piney flavour? Um, no, I wouldn't say so. I think this cheese does have a natural earthiness to it. On some cheeses, you can get more of a sort of that thistle pronounced flavour, but I wouldn't say with this one. I think with this one, it's more to do with the texture. Forgot to try the port with it. I'm just going in. Mmm, <laughs> that is, that's beautiful. It's so unexpected to have white port and have it it's it's quite rich and rounded as well isn't it it's quite sort of it's a perfect match yeah it's a perfect Honey match um, yeah like and you get that sort of bit of hint of citrus coming through from the port as yeah. well um it's a it's a beautiful match that really is a is. superstar fantastic okay and then moving on to the tawny 
what have we got to go with that, Dan? So with tawnies in the past, we've very successfully paired gouders and gruyeres and those really sweet, caramelly, rich, sort of toothsome cheeses. Those ones have got a really nice bit of bite. So if we're going to go British, then what better than the winner of the World Cheese Awards 2018? Ooh, exciting. I know. This <laughs> is Cornish Kern, which comes from the same makers of the ever-famous Cornish Yarg. So Cornish. Cornish Yarg is one of my favourite cheeses. I'm, I'm pretty much obsessed with it. That's good to hear. That's good to hear. Cornish Kern is, is as good. Yeah. It's very exciting. So when they won the award for Cornish Kern, they were making very, very small amounts. So even now, because it takes about eight months to age, there's limited amounts coming out of the dairy and we sort of have to beg them for enough for the counters. So if you manage to see Cornish Kern anywhere, buy it. Do you know how they came up with the name? Because I know how they came up with the Yarg, because it's grey backwards. It is, yeah. But what does Kern stand for? I'm not 100% sure. <laughs> I've heard a few different things. Someone said it's an old Cornish word for cheese, but it, or it could come oh, from it could Kerner, be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, from, you know, the Cornish oh, word yeah, for Kerner. Cornwall. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, no, sorry. We'd have to ask Catherine. There's some brilliant cheeses coming from Corn. Have you tried the Cornish Gouda? Yes, from Gil Spearings. Yeah. We do, yeah. We sometimes have it. There's a whole one right behind you. Oh, mine. That is <laughs> the best cheese. I love, I love it. Yes, okay, let's try this. And for this, we've got uh, the tawny. Yes. Try so that this bit is before. a 30-year-old tawny. Oh, it's lovely. It's kind of got... The tawny's got almost kind of a savoury flavour to it. Yeah, so the tawny is... We're going much more towards the dried fruits now. Mm. So we're moving Raisin-y. away from those big, fresh... Exactly. So moving from plums to prunes and raisins. Yeah. And it's actually all those sort of Christmas aromas, isn't it? It's almost like Christmas cake in a blender, something like that. That is... Yeah, it's kind of more classic, but... Because you've got the sort of slightly drier, raisiny flavours. It's not too mm-hmm. overpowering. Really nicely balanced with that cheese. And that cheese is so creamy. It is, but it's still got that sort of, like, crystalline... It's kind of nutty. Yeah, it? really, I really nutty. Say, it's got a little bit of nuttiness, which works so perfectly with well, the tawny port. Fruit and nut. Mm. Sort of mm-hmm. that sort of Christmas chocolatey flavour. It's delicious. Right. So that's Cornish Kern. Look out for that one. And next, we have gone for a blue cheese. We have. I mean, when you talk about pairing with blue cheese, it's, I think it's natural and important to lead towards sweeter wines, fortified wines, yeah. Monbaziac Sauternes, if you're going to go sort of those classics, but also ports and sherries. Again, you need to go sweeter. Today, I've gone for Beauvale, which is a creamy blue cheese, which comes from Nottinghamshire and is actually made by the same people who make Paxton and Whitfield Stilton. So it's somewhere between a Stilton and a Gorgonzola Dolce. I like to say it's a blue cheese for trainer wheels, as in if you're not a huge fan of blue cheese, give Beauvale a It's like a creamy entry-level... Yeah, yeah, exactly that. It's an entry-level blue cheese. Mm. I mean, I love blue cheese, so this isn't going to be a problem for me to, um, to get behind. And with this, we're trying the vintage. We are. We're trying the um, Paxton and Whitfield's own vintage from 2000. So it's had 18 years. So that would have been bottled in 2002 and has been um, mm. aged in bottle. That's lovely. And what sort of characters are you looking for in the vintage? So with this one, we're looking for some... Um, so we have the fruit there still, yeah. but it's, it's beginning to mature now. I Definitely. mean, it's still quite young. Yeah. There's still plenty of tan in there as well. And there's plenty of ageing potential left, but it's drinking very well at the moment. Mm. So you've got these lovely mature fruits coming through. 
Um, and, and it kind of uh, cuts through the richness of yes, the blue, doesn't it? exactly, because you get that sort of saltiness coming from the mm. cheese and then the sweetness and the lovely, luscious fruit that comes from the vintage will just complement it perfectly. I mean, I think that would be great um, if people wanted to seek it out. That would be such a good alternative to a, a Stilton to serve up. What's it called again? This is called Beauvale, and, yeah, it's also fantastic with um, on a slice of fruitcake, so Christmas cake. Oh, now you're talking. Yeah. <laughs> um, Okay, so just finally to finish, um, I was going to ask if you had, Amanda, any other foods that you would recommend? You know, cheese and pork, great, but um, the sort of styles that we've been trying today, maybe what you would match them with? Well, cheese and pork are obviously, yeah. it's the classic combination, yeah, without a doubt, but it's, port is a fantastic dessert wine mm. as well. So you could have the tawny with, let's say, a creme brulee, oh, lovely. something that's caramelised, almond tart is fantastic with that. Um, Serve the tawny slightly chilled as well. Oh, really? It's lovely. Okay. Um, and then the big sort of ruby-style port, so yeah. a label of vintage or a vintage or reserve ruby, great with chocolate, for instance. Oh, they can take some, especially if it's quite young, it can take some quite strong flavours. Yeah. Um, so there's all sorts of things that you could do, but certainly as a dessert wine, it's fantastic. Fab. Thank you so much, Amanda. Thanks so much, Dan. Pleasure. Um, I feel like I've learned a lot today. Um, but, yeah, if you want to learn any more information, Taylor's have got a fantastic website, as have Paxton and Whitfield. Um, but thanks for joining us today. Thank you very much. Thank you. OK, so it's mid-October and we are bang in the middle of um, autumn berry season, especially for foraging. So today I've got Hannah, our drinks writer, here with me, Janine. And Hannah's a bit of an expert on the uh, on the old foraging in parks and by the sides of roads yeah. for berries. And she's written a brilliant feature in our October issue um, all about it. So um, first of all, Hannah, what, what should we be looking for this time of year? What berries should we be looking um, for? There are loads of things out now, particularly yeah. because um, we've had such warm weather. Um, so The season's a little bit the longer. Seasons, yeah, they're a bit topsy-turvy, so um, you're likely to find quite a lot of stuff out still now and I think um it's also bearing in mind that it really will vary where you're on the country so whether you're further north things might actually still be kind of going strong okay. or in other places they might have not so it, it kind of depends mm. where you are but um blackberries um you still might find blackberries um hanging around again it might depends where you are I was in Cornwall about a week and a bit ago and yeah. they were in full swing yeah out on the Cornish. Exactly. And um, I'm, I haven't seen much of them in London, but yeah. it just goes to show that yeah. it really varies. Um, Hawthorne berries, um, which are kind of, you'll, they're probably even more common than blackberries. Um, and you'll find them wherever you find blackberries, you'll probably find Hawthorne berries. Oh, really? So they're kind of. Yeah, partners. they're kind of, they're just like on roadsides and hedges. They're really oh, common there. Okay. You'll see them hanging in kind of like clusters of small scarlet pea sized berries. Okay. Um, you, once, you, once you've noticed them, you'll see them everywhere. Once you ident like truly identify it, you'll be able to see it again and again. Yeah, yeah. definitely. They're cool. super, super common. Elderberries, okay. um, again, are um, also quite common. Um, they're, so basically, they're the fruit of the elderflower. Um, you'll also see them kind of on roadsides and hedges. Um, they're really kind of these really sort of lustrous-looking inky mm. black Yeah, I was going to say they're tiny little black, well, not tiny, but quite small little yeah, really round small. black berries aren't they cool. um elsewhere you also find uh rose hips yeah. um so they're i think they're the fruit of the wild rose yeah. and um 
you let, I mean, you'll see them in roadsides and hedges, but you can also see them like in people's gardens or... Oh, okay. Um, they're quite common, just kind of everywhere, really. Um, and they're kind of, it's more like a bush as opposed to a tree. Yeah. Um, and they're kind of like oval shaped and kind of like a bright reddish, reddish yeah. orange. I think I could identify a rose hip. Yeah, they're I'm quite, a, they're yeah. very, they're quite big. They're, they're bigger than, um, say, hawthorn berries and yeah. brighter in colour. Um, and then there's sloes, which most people are familiar with. Quite um, famous now, aren't they? Because everyone seems to be making sloe gin we at might, the minute. They might not be quite ready yet. Again, yeah. it depends depends where you're looking. Um, but they're sort of round, blue-black. Yeah. Um, they're kind of on, they're, they're, they're the berries of, the, I think, the blackthorn tree. Okay. Um super spiky so just be careful when you when you're pick picking them. them um and then um less common but um you'll also swap them around are damsons which are wild oh, yeah. plums they're like like a smaller version of a plum aren't they yeah yeah um crab apples which are sort of the the wild smaller yeah more tart wild version of of, of just the standard eating apple um, and also rowan berries, which actually are really common okay. so they're um you see them a lot in parks and roadsides they're kind of like they're kind of clusters of bright orange red berries. Okay. On um, it's the it's the fruit of the mountain ash tree. Um, okay. But if you look at them, they're actually they're quite a common feature of parks mm. and stuff. Um, and they make um, yeah they, they 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 can be used in in, in things like jellies and jams. And yeah, stuff. because they're more tart. Maybe mm. I guess the main thing with all of these things, um, we've got some foraging do's and don'ts in in the article is is to take a visual reference with you. Absolutely. So either, um, I guess, I, I looked up online or you can maybe, you know, take out from the library a little um, Berries Hedgerows kind of reference yeah. book and maybe take that along because you don't want to be picking dodgy. Because I showed you a picture, no. didn't I, of, yeah. <laughs> that I'd taken of some bright red berries that I'd seen um, somewhere up uh, near Highgate. And you said, no, they're not actually... Um, I, I can't remember what I thought they were, rose hips or something. I'm a bit... Uh, yeah, I'm I a think, city girl, sorry. <laughs> well, I think, I do fair, they did look a lot like you could eat them. And I was like, oh, actually, I don't think... Yeah. Maybe, you can. <laughs> maybe don't pick those ones, yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and obviously it goes without saying, um, yeah, take a reference card out with you um, and never, ever, ever eat anything unless you're absolutely sure exactly what, what it is. is. Yeah. Um, um, I mean, you know, that goes from berries, also things like, which we won't cover, but things like mushrooms and stuff, yeah. which obviously are, you know, you have to be absolutely certain. Yeah, and we also say um, only pick when something's in abundance because obviously you don't want to strip it back so much that it doesn't grow. So no. you should be, like, taking the excess and leaving the rest to kind of reflourish. Yeah, I mean, in London, that's actually a bit of a problem is... I. I find it quite you foragers hard to, out just yeah because people will strip back. strip the bushes yeah, bare which is, which is kind of actually not no. not really okay because and also you need to leave you need to leave some for like wildlife as well okay so yeah be mindful of that and also yeah I mean you know think about the area you're in don't be trampling over one bush to get to another bush no. you want to be like respectful of the countryside definitely as well. particularly like things like hedgerows which are usually habitats for yeah you know, for little wild wildlife. birds yeah. and little voles and creatures and things like that and then um, if uh, if you want to for more detailed information and um, the woodland trust has um, some really helpful foraging oh, guidelines so that's woodland trust .org.uk. Brilliant. So what sort of things, because I know that you're, you're pretty, I, I think in the past you've, you've, done a, you've done a couple of booze things for mm. us, but what else can you do with all of these berries? I mean, what sort of things can you make with them? I mean, most of these things, I mean, aside from, you know, the obvious, which is just, you know, chuck, chuck, chuck them in some gin or vodka yeah. 
or whiskey, which with is some an sugar. easy win. Really easy. <laughs> it's also a really easy way of like transforming cheap spirits, yeah, into something like super drinkable. Um, most of these, yeah, most of these, most of these will work really, really well if you do that. Um, but you know, just like they also, you know, lend themselves really well to, you know, jams, jellies, preserves. Um, and you've done a recipe for vinegar, haven't you? Which yes. I thought was really a really nice idea because. Um, Flavoured vinegars are very trendy now, mm. but they can be incredibly expensive. Um, so you've done elderberry vinegar. Yeah, so and it actually kind of tastes like, um, almost like balsamic vinegar. Oh, okay. Um, it also, I mean, you can also describe it as um, a, a shrub, which is um, called a drinking vinegar. Yeah. So if you use, um, if you top some of that up with soda water, it makes a really nice tart, refreshing, oh, really? sort of non-alcoholic drink. If you want that kind of, the kind of, Tang. Yeah. If you want something that's not too sweet, which I think people who who don't drink often don't want to drink soft yeah. drinks and stuff, is quite useful. And, you, and to make it, you you literally just um, you muddle the elderberries, as in you squish squish yeah, them gently, <clears throat> gently with a rolling pin. Add the vinegar, mm. add some sugar as well, which I think just balances it out. Mm. And then um, and then put that in a. Um, oh, I oh, see. So you do cook it as well. I just, yes. Yeah. So um, you don't when you make things like. Um, flavoured fruity vinegars you don't yeah. always have to cook them but something to bear in mind with elderberries is they are um mildly toxic okay so they just need they do need to be cooked but once they're cooked they're fine but you do need to cook them okay um, before preparing them. <laughs> yeah um they won't like they won't do anything terrible to you but yeah don't eat the raw they also stain right incredibly badly and do you they? cannot get rid of oh, the stain. just to, i've just learned from bitter experience so with this one you're infusing yeah um and then you're um once the infusion's happened, you're then pouring it into a pan, with just just simmering it with the sugar just to kind of get that and then straining it and putting mm-hmm. it in a jar. Yeah. That's cool. Whereas things like, I guess, slows and blackberries, they're quite easily just added to, as you said, to booze. Yeah. Because you've done a, um, a lovely blackberry whiskey, which we tried in the office, and it was absolutely delicious because obviously blackberry vodka is quite common, but mm. thinking about adding it to whiskey, so you just get your... I guess you just use quite a smooth, not too complex. I mean, this is not one for your like PT smoky no, whiskies, is no, it? It's kind no, of. A... It's, I mean, and also, okay, it would be a bit of a crime to waste yeah. a really good whiskey on it if you're going to chuck loads of sugar into it. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I just used a bog standard like blended supermarket Scotch whiskey, blended Scotch whiskey. Of, yeah. yeah, and um, Scotch is particularly good. I would probably pick Scotch over something like a bourbon. It's just because yeah. Scotch has got a a natural kind of peppery spice yeah. which really matches well the blackberries and actually you can add uh different spices to infuse so i actually i added in some um um cracked black pepper oh, into nice. one batch i made which um, takes a few weeks to come through um but you'll get a back note of pepper but yeah i did um so we left i think i tasted it after a couple of weeks and i couldn't taste it and i assumed it hadn't worked and i tasted it again yeah a couple of weeks later and it was you know really nice that would make a brilliant alternative present as well yeah you know for and like a nice little after dinner drink yeah definitely and also you made slow gin cheese which to me because mm-hmm. i did try that is it had a very similar texture to sort of like membrio yeah the sort of quince jam yeah that's that's kind of what i i sort of had in mind yeah um yeah again it's because um, fruit cheeses are it's a weird thing isn't it to say fruit cheese but yeah. a fruit cheese is like a set a thing like you literally boil up the fruit with sugar and then set it yeah, into as, like as a little solid mass. Jam, basically, yeah. you just keep boiling it until it's like super thick and gloopy. Until <laughs> you can slice it. Yeah, until you pour it into a mould. Um, yeah. yeah, and it's just, it goes really well with like strong blue cheese like Stilton. Lovely. So it's a great addition to a cheese board. That was a really nice one. Um, 
And then we did, just finally, um, there was a little note on here, which I thought was great, especially in the days of not, um, you know, being too wasteful, um, is that you can you can then repurpose your gin slugs, gin soaked slows I can't say that um, so once once you've made your um once you've made your slow gin you can use the slows that you strain out of the gin for something else yes so you can um um this is quite a kind of popular idea um yeah. you can uh take the gin soaked slows um and infuse them again in a dry cider ah. um and that makes something called slider um which um, <laughs> slider okay so when you think everything um if, yeah, I, th- I mean, the, the, the berries would be quite sugary as well. So yeah. I'd put them in a dry cider, mm-hmm. maybe even like a dry, like, scrumpy potentially. But that would make, I mean, it would be lethal. So so we're talking not fizzy cider, we're talking... Um, fr- yeah, I, I, I think, well, I think, because the thing is, I think it would lose the fizz. Yeah, it would lose the fizz, So I would do, um, I haven't actually... One of your West Country ciders. I haven't tried this, but um, uh, there's, all, I mean, there's a site, there's all sorts of, like, Sheppies. Um, yeah. And uh, Westerns do some really nice dry ones. Or yeah. um, there's um, Old Rosie, which is like a really strong old scrumpy, which you can get in in Demi Johnson's from the supermarket. Yeah. I wondered, actually, it, you could make probably quite a potent... I think that would be lethal. It, it would be lethal, but yeah, um, drunk in small amounts. <laughs> and it also said here that you can remacerate them with red wine sugar and brandy to make yeah. slow port. So you're literally... Wow, that's amazing. Yeah, that's a, yeah another... Um, very delicious but super powered yeah tipple brilliant so some amazing tips there for um picking what to look for do's and don'ts and using the leftovers as well thanks very much hannah no problem so that was the olive magazine podcast if you like this episode please head over to itunes and leave a review we'd love to hear from you if you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode you can visit our website olivemagazine.com You can still pick up a copy of our October issue on the newsstand now or go download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.